the Gospel of John chapter 5. We've been studying here uh, the, this chapter and particularly these first nine verses. We'll reread them and then we will uh, do a brief recap and then we will get into the message. We've titled this Bethesda. We've yet to get to the word Bethesda. Um, God has given us much. But in John chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down in a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. While I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now, we've been looking at this and we noted that the Bible says after this there was a feast of the Jews. And the Jews had a lot of feasts. But they had some in particular. And when the Jews were, the Jewish men were to present themselves before the temple or before the Lord in the temple. And we ran back and we looked at how that the Passover had already taken place and this was more than likely the time of Pentecost when they were to come and present themselves before the Lord. And Jesus, He presented Himself before the Lord. He humbled Himself even though He was God. He presented Himself and He teaches us to come and appear before the Lord. And we have in our day and in this time and this dispensation... We're to present ourselves before the Lord uh, in assembling with His church, worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. We noted as well that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. That's the place that He was to go and He went. Jerusalem meaning the city of peace. And there we find as well that there was a sheep market or a sheep gate. Verse 2. And we noted the sheep gate. This is the place where the animal sacrifices are brought into the city of Jerusalem. They would come in through there. They would be inspected. And then they would be taken to the temple and sacrifices would be offered. And we noted that the sheep were the predominant animal used in sacrifices there by the Jews. And then we noted, if you just want to turn back to the Gospel of John chapter 1, we noted that Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. In fact, uh, the Bible tells us that He is a Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. In John 1 and verse 29, John the Baptist says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him 
and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You see, those sheep, those uh, lambs that were brought in through the sheep gate there in the city of Jerusalem, they couldn't take away our sins, could they? They were emblematic and they were representative of what the true Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, would do. And He, and in our day, has already done. How that He would shed His blood and His blood would be seen and observed. It would be taken yonder to the mercy seat in heaven and there it would be put upon it and God would see it and He would no longer see our sins, the law that we have broken, but rather He would see the the purchase price of our redemption. We noted the Lamb of God in the city of Jerusalem, meaning the city of peace, and that one can only have peace with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So that brings us to the latter part of verse 2 this morning and our sermons on Bethesda. Let's read verse 2 again. It says, Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market or the sheep gate a pool. And this is the scene of the uh, work and miracle that Christ would perform. And this pool was there. And the Bible tells us that at verse 4 that at certain times an angel would come down and would stir the waters of the pool. And it says, Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now this, this was something, wasn't it? That would be a tremendous thing to have that. We have a lot of uh, diseases and infirmities and things that you and I have. And if there was a pool that we could go to and uh, be, be put into or put ourselves into and be healed for them, I have no doubt that any of us would not avail ourselves to that. But the reality is, is there's one thing that this pool couldn't wash away, it couldn't heal, and that is sin. Only the blood of Christ could do that. And so Christ, here He comes to this place, and in the Bible the name of that place is Bethesda. It was a pool, and its name was Bethesda. And the word Bethesda, (coughs) excuse me, means house of mercy. And certainly God was merciful. He was merciful unto them because all the infirmities, you read there in verse 3, you read there of how they were impotent folk. That is, they they didn't have any power. They didn't have the ability to walk. They lacked ability to do things. And then we read that there were some who were blind and some who had halt and they had... There were those that were withered and there was a shrinking of certain parts of the body and they couldn't use them. And they were there waiting for the moving of the water. God took mercy in them because the Bible tells us it was an angel that came and moved the water. And we know that the word angel and what angels are is they are messengers of God. They are uh, celestial beings. They are that which are used of God. He dispenses them and they carry on His work. In fact, we know if you'll just turn over to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4 just to see 
an aspect of things that the Bible tells us about angels is that God commands them and they carry out His bidding. We know uh, just a couple of them by name according to Scriptures. We know Michael and we, uh, we know that Satan, he used to be one, he was Lucifer. We know that there's Gabriel as well. But we find here that for the vast majority of them, they're nameless, aren't they? And I think that's by design. And sadly, there's a lot of people who worship angels instead of uh, the Lord God who created them and is in charge of this. Now you look here in Matthew 4 and in verse 6, Satan here speaking and what he says is right, he just misapplies it. But he says unto Jesus, he says, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And here he's quoting from the 91st Psalm. But what we see here is that these angels are ministering spirits. And they ministered there in John or Matthew chapter 4 unto the Lord Jesus after He resisted Satan. And here in mercy, God had sent them down at a certain time, at a certain season, and they would stir the water of this pool. And a lot of people say, well, and I've read different commentaries say, well, there were certain properties in the water that once people would go into them, that and they just explained away the, the, the fact that it healed that people were healed by being placed in the water. Well, if these properties that were in the water were so as what what happened, if that's what made people whole, then how come it only happened after an angel of the Lord stirred the water? You see, the reality is, is that this was the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. But there's another doing that God has done out of mercy. That is even more marvelous in our eyes. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is a far greater mercy than whatever took place here in this pool called Bethesda. Because this man, this impotent man, the Bible tells us in verse 5, a certain man was there which had an infirmity Thirty and eight years. He's had an infirmity as long as I am alive. That's a long time to have an infirmity. You and I have had things come and go. We haven't necessarily had, as far as I'm aware of, where we've had physical problems such as this that have plagued us all our lives. <clears throat> but this man here the Bible tells us that he had this and that water would have, if he could have gotten into it when the angel stirred it, he would have been made whole of whatsoever disease he had. But he had a greater disease. And Christ addresses this. And he spoke to him. He spoke to him about his need of being saved from his sins. We find in verse 14 where Christ finds him in the temple later. It says, Afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple and saith to him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. 
So Christ, when He was healed this man, and He was referring unto him of His greatest need, it was not His physical infirmity, but His spiritual need of being saved. Now in order for an individual to be saved, this is an act of the mercy of God. Turn over to Titus chapter 3. The book of Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Again, the name of the place meaning Bethesda or house of mercy. And certainly it was because here was a location and there was a pool there and it was a place where God would have mercy upon them and healing their physical infirmities. And sadly... That's much of all people want today are their physical needs taken care of. That's why prayer lists on churches are full of health concerns and things of that nature. That's why we see today and you look at it and you look at our nation and you hear from our our government leaders who say, well, we've had the best economy and we've got to fix the economy and all this. And there's no reference whatsoever Two, we need to repent and seek God that He might forgive us. That doesn't exist, does it? Because the concern is solely and wholly about physical, outward, temporal things. But this is not the case here. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, the Bible says, speaking of salvation, it says, "...not by works of righteousness." which we have done. But according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So He didn't save you and me except by His mercy. And it was a whole bunch of mercy, wasn't it? As we examine and you look and you... uh, have to come to the conclusion that the same Scriptures come to and we find in our very text verse that it was a house of mercy, Bethesda was, because in it, in verse 3 of John 5, there lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind people, of halt people, of withered people. All of these stand for those who are lost sinners. They couldn't heal themselves. There was nothing that could be done. Just like the lepers, leprosy could only be healed of God. All the priests in the Old Testament could do was pronounce clean or unclean, but they couldn't save. And so here were these individuals. They were impotent. They were blind. They were halt. They were withered. No physician was able to treat them and cure them. And so they came to a place by the name of the house of mercy. And the Bible tells us as well that there is nothing outside of the mercy and grace and salvation that God has in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, whereby you'll be saved. Now if you look over to the Gospel of Luke chapter 18, again the house of mercy... Today, we visit with folks, I'm sure you do as well, 
You converse with people and you ask them about salvation and they have all manner of answers for you. And they'll talk about everything that they've done. Here in Luke chapter 18 and verse 9, we notice that Christ spoke concerning a parable of two individuals, one a Pharisee and another a publican. And you know the Pharisee, he was one who spoke about all the things he had done. There's a lot of people today who, when we talk to them and you talk to them and you converse with them about, <coughs> excuse me, about salvation and time and time and time again, well, I've done this, and I've done that. Well, let's read here in Luke 18 and verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank Thee. Thy am not as other men are, extortioners and unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You see, here he was. He kept talking about all the things that he had done. Not one time did he mention the mercy of God in saving him. Not once. Not one time did he speak about the fact of that he was unable to keep God's law. The fact that he was nowhere near keeping it. That he fell short of it. It was all about this is what I've done and look at how great I am. And he failed to plead for God to be merciful to him. To have pity and compassion. You see, that's the way it is with a great deal of people. They don't think they really need to be saved. Why would I need to be saved? Look at all the things that I have done. I've done this, and I've done that. I go to church, I tithe, I pray, I read my Bible. Look at all the activities in the church that I'm involved in. Never mind the unscripturalness of them all. But look at all the things that I do. Well, look over to Matthew chapter 7, and we already know what God is going to say to these. If you're all looking for the bathroom, it's back here. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now notice verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not preached and have we not taught? Have we not gone on missionary journeys and evangelism and didn't we uh, uh, hold all of these revival services and, and we went and did all of these and we handed out tracts and we've done all of these things in your name. 
and goes on and says, and there's some who say, and in thy name have cast out demons or devils. And in thy name we've done all these many wonderful works. Didn't, haven't we done all of this? And you know his response is, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers, or ye that work iniquity. You see, if you're here this morning and you are anticipating or expecting that you're going to be saved based upon what you do and what you have done, then you have no need of God's mercy. Because you are acceptable in your own sight. But I assure you, based on the authority of the Scriptures, that God will not accept anyone apart from Jesus Christ. You see, there needs to be mercy in the life of an individual. You see, there are depraved hearts and sin-blinded minds. Many believe that they really aren't as bad as God says they are. Oh, sure, we're all sinners. But I'm not as vile and wicked and wretched. I've never really hated God. If you ever were born in this world, you hated God. You despised Him and His ways. You were at enmity and an enemy of His. And you stood in need of the mercy of God. Look over to Romans, if you would. The book of Romans. And I think that this brings it out better than I can in Romans chapter 5. And notice, if you would, verse 6. We'll begin reading there. We stand in need of the mercy of God. You see, because of our sin, because of our sinful nature, we are as rebels before a great king. A perfect king. One whose laws are perfect and righteous and just. And we have rebelled against him. And the Bible tells us that He has a law for His land and His kingdom. And the Bible says that if we violate His law, there is but one penalty, and that penalty is death. That's it. And so we can't come to Him and say, well, sure, I violated your law, but look at all the good I've done. Because we broke His law... And His law requires a death to take place. And so the only thing we can plead is for Him to be merciful to us. To have pity and compassion because we deserve the death. We deserve the banishment from the presence of God forever and forever. We deserve His wrath poured out upon us. That's what we deserve. That's what we have earned. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned. 
And so we need mercy. So if we are going to come before God and we're going to plead our earnings, our just desserts, our worth, we're pleading for hell, aren't we? But if we come before Him seeking mercy and compassion, that's the only way we're going to have salvation. Is according to His mercy. Romans 5, 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Remember the word ungodly means not godly. Not godly. Not like God. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now that's the mercy of God. Because Christ Jesus was perfect and sinless and had not done anything wrong. He had done everything that pleased the Father, the Bible tells us. No fault was found in Him at all whatsoever. And the Bible tells us that God delivered Him up, didn't He? That's mercy. Now we look here, and if you would, turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. And again, we want to reiterate this tremendous truth that there is no mercy in the law whatsoever. So if you're examining the law, if you're looking at the Ten Commandments, if you're looking at the standard and you see that standard and you're comparing yourself to that standard and you think that you measure up to the, to the Decalogue, to the commandments of God, may God remove the scales from your eyes. Because you and I don't measure up. The only one who does is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. In Hebrews 10 and verse 28, we find this truth. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Well, there's a multitude of witnesses against my sins. And there's a multitude against your sins. And the Bible tells us that under the law of Moses, meaning the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, they died without mercy. In fact, there was the individual. You can read it in the book of Numbers, chapter 15, who went out and picked up some sticks on the Sabbath day. And they stoned him for it. Because he violated the law of God. Think about that for a minute. I mean, all he did was pick up some sticks. He violated the Sabbath is what he did. He broke the commandments that God had given them to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Why didn't he pick them up the day before? Why wasn't he there remembering the Sabbath? 
worshiping the Lord like he was supposed to be. But the Bible tells us that in Christ Jesus there is pity. He is full of mercy. You see, Christ who shed His blood at Calvary, if you look in Hebrews chapter 9, as the Lamb of God, He shed His blood. But as our great high priest, He would take that blood and He would go and He would place it upon the mercy seat. You see, in in the Scriptures, the Bible tells us in Moses, he fashioned his tabernacle in the mercy seat after the pattern of heavenly things. And there was the tabernacle, or there was the, 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 uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and inside the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments were placed. We know Aaron's rod that budded was in there also. But the Ten Commandments were there, And on top of that was the mercy seat. And there were on each side the two uh, uh, angelic beings, uh, the cherubims that were there, and, and God, He would come, and it was symbolic and indicative of His throne. And God would come in the Shekinah cloud of glory, and He would take up residence there, and they would worship the Lord there. And every year, the high priest, once a year, would take his blood, or the blood of the the sacrifice, and he would sprinkle it there upon the mercy seat, and God would see it, and He would roll their sins over for another year. Instead of seeing the law that they had violated, He would see a picture of the blood of Jesus. But now Jesus has come. And Christ Jesus sacrificed Himself and He took His blood and as our great high priest as Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24 says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands which are the figures of the true but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. You see, He took His own blood and He appeared before God and He put it upon the mercy seat in heaven that was not made with hands, and now God no longer sees the law that I violated, but He sees the death of Jesus Christ, that my sin debt has been paid. There it is upon the mercy seat. We find that The Lord had great pity upon us. He saw our condition. That we were lost. That we were sinful. That we were unable to save ourselves. Our condition was so bad that we couldn't make one movement, one step in the right direction toward God that as we sang that hymn, Jesus paid it all He did every bit of it, didn't He? Remember the psalmist David there in the 40th Psalm? He says, He took me out of the pit. He set my feet upon a rock. He established my goings. It's the Lord who did all that. He put a new song in my mouth. 
See, this is all the Lord's doing and it's all done out of mercy because we didn't deserve any of it. Do you remember what, uh, if you turn over to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. And notice verse 10. This is a wonderful Scripture here. And Jacob, he, he's speaking with the Lord. And Jacob had... Well, I tell you, Jacob had been... A, he was a scoundrel, wasn't he? He was a shyster. And we find here that as he's returning unto the land of his birth, and he's got his great company with him, and it tells us here in Genesis 32 and verse 9 and 10, we'll read, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. He says, verse 10, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan and now I am become two bands. Here Jacob tells the Lord, he says, I'm not worthy of the very least of your mercies, of the very minutest of your pity and compassion that you've had upon me. Well, if he's not worthy of the minutest, do you think he's worthy of the greatest when God saved his wretched soul? Do you think Jacob deserved, out of all he had done, do you think that Jacob deserved to have two bands come over with him? and all the sheep and all the animals that he stole from his father-in-law? The Bible tells us that Jacob spoke. He said, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies, meaning a multitude of mercies. A multitude of the pity and compassion that God had had upon him. You see... Salvation is according to the mercy of God. Look over in Romans 9, if you would. Again, this Bethesda speaks of a house of mercy, and certainly that's what God has built, is a house of mercy. One of pity and of compassion. And we're debtors unto that. In Romans chapter 9, verses 14, we read here where it was all of the mercy of God from the very beginning in planning our salvation and paying for our salvation and then in drawing us unto Jesus Christ that we might be saved in preserving us and keeping us saved. It is all according to His mercy. In Romans 9:14, what shall we then what shall we say then is there unrighteousness with God God forbid for he saith to Moses I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion That means God bestows his mercy on who he sees fit We're all equally guilty under the law 
you, me, everyone. There is no difference. God saw fit to be merciful to me. He goes on and he says in verse 16, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. And so we praise him for it. Because he's the one, just like you know, you have governors, you have a president, and they dispense mercy. You have a judge as well who will dispense mercy and sentencing. When our case came before God, there were no mitigating circumstances. You know, when you commit a crime and you're found guilty of it, that's one part of the trial process, and then the next part they have the sentencing part of it. And they stand before the judge, and are there mitigating circumstances? Well, why did you steal this? Well, because, you know, I had to feed my family or whatever, or all this stuff. Those are called mitigating circumstances. Then there's other ones that call them aggravating circumstances. Where it was malicious and the crime that was done and it could have been avoided in all manner of things. But the point that I'm making is, in our case, there were no mitigating circumstances. There were only aggravating circumstances. And yet God, in mercy... And the person of His Son pardoned us and forgave us. And He doesn't hold it over our heads either. There's no, there's none of the things that happen in our world. You ever do a, or, or anybody ever done a favor for you and they never let you forget it? Kind of takes away the word favor, doesn't it? You see, it was, it was mercy in Christ. It was mercy in that Christ took upon Himself the form of a servant. It was mercy in that Christ laid down His life. It was mercy that in Christ He saved us by grace through faith. You see, it's all according to the mercy of God. And if you're going to be saved... You're going to have to become as that publican did in Luke chapter 18, whom the Bible says was standing afar off, would not, up, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That man came to the end of himself. The Lord brought him to the place where he wouldn't rely on anything except God's mercy. The publican wasn't trusting in his prayers. He wasn't trusting in his religion. He wasn't trusting in his works. He threw himself at the mercy of God. And said, you do with me as you see fit. Have mercy upon me. Because I'm a sinner and this is what I'm worthy of and I'm begging you to be merciful to me. And the Bible says that God justified him. He pronounced him to be innocent and free. Those are the only people that God pronounces justified are the ones he has mercy upon. 
Now look in Romans 12 as we draw to a close this morning. You see, the, the mercy of God didn't stop with our salvation, did it? We've been benefactors or, or, or beneficiaries of, of the mercy of God even since He saved us. And if you're saved this morning, we want to, as Paul did in Romans 12, he said, I, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Plural. That word beseech means I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you, I want to put my arm around you and encourage you to do something. Paul was prodding the Roman church, the Roman saints, along in the service of God. And you know what he used? The mercies of God. He says, if you've been saved by the grace of God, if you've been saved by the mercies of God, instead of being in the fiery torments of hell, you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Instead of being over here sinful, depraved, wicked, vile, the wrath of God abiding on you, being condemned already, you are pardoned, freed, sanctified, set apart in Jesus Christ. If God has had those mercies upon you, I beseech you by those mercies that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So if you're saved, if you've experienced the mercy of God and salvation, then you need to offer yourself unto the Lord. Just as Jesus said, not my will but thine be done, that your life is swallowed up in Him. That you serve Him. That you die unto sin and live unto God. So our problem is that we try to eat our, have our cake and eat it too. That's the real thing. Because once you eat your cake, it's gone. You can't have it, can you? We try to have one foot in the world and live and follow after the world, and then on one or two days a week, be like Christ. And Paul says, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To not be conformed to the way this world thinks. As a child of God, we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, to lay our lives down for the sake and cause of Christ. As the first thing is that one needs to be a member of the Lord's church. That hasn't changed and it's never going to. That folks need to follow the Lord 
and be scripturally baptized and be a member of his church and then the rest of their lives serve him in and through his church. Say, well, how do you serve the Lord in and through his church? Well, you make disciples. That's the great commission he gave to his church. The first thing he said was, you make disciples. You teach all nations. So you go about making other disciples. Your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, your family members, you preach unto them about Jesus Christ. You teach them the Word of God. That's how you make other disciples. You support the Lord's work with prayer, with purse, and with your personal sacrifices, your personal time. You see, in the same way that the priests served the temple and the tabernacle, God's people as believer priests serve Him in and through His church. All because of the manifold mercies of God. You see, there in Bethesda, there was the mercy of God, but it was nothing compared to the mercy of God in Christ. If you're here this morning and you're lost, if you're not saved, only Jesus will save you. He's not going to save you because you're a good person. He's not going to save you because of your good works. He saves because of His mercy. His compassion. And if you have been saved, then we need to serve Him and to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. So may the Lord bless His message. May His Word not return to Him void.